15 and uh, started this morning. I left my house before 5, got to the airport at 5, and they said we're missing a part on the plane. Not a good start to the day. And so we waited and waited and got bumped around instead of Dallas, went to Chicago. They got bumped on another flight. Our new pastor's coming. He's on the flight right now. But uh, what a blessing uh, to be here tonight. What a bunch of crazy people. Flour and salads and what dignity. How are you doing? You preached here before? So they know that you're not normal. <laughs> you know, I can walk up my hands. I taught you how to do that, didn't I? Uh, can you still do that or are you too old? <laughs> Have you done it here yet? This year? Would you like to see him walking?
I had a desire to live in these clothes when I was your age. My desire was to graduate from high school and go to the Marine Corps, go to Vietnam. But my dad says, son, and he didn't make a big deal out of it. He'd gone 12 years to school. I just want one year of Bible college, 13th year. He said at one time, that's, I didn't pray about it, didn't need to. My dad prayed more for me than I prayed for me. I had an old plan to go to Tennessee Temple. My dad said, I want you to go there, son. I want you. I thought he not because he never found out. I never told him. He said, here's why I want you to go to school. You know, I had a, such a godly dad and mother. I thought they'd been praying for me my whole life. Why did we get the idea that we know so much as teenagers? My son, give me thy heart, the Bible says, Psalm yes. Proverbs 23. I'm so grateful that I gave my heart to my mother, my dad, my pastor, his wife. We never had, when I was growing up, youth pastors. But I thank God that it gave me people that influenced my life. And what a joy it was to attend Bible college and let God call me to the ministry. You know, some of you tonight up in the balcony, God wants to call you. God is calling we think that he still still speaks. Hi, Sister Weedle. I just saw you up there. God bless you. He still speaks. I know his voice. And I want to be so sensitive to God in my life at this point in my life. But all my journey, I want to be sensitive. Young people, you have a, you're, you're at the best moment of your life. Right. One of the things in life I envy is where you are. And I'm so thankful for this journey. I hope it goes on a little bit longer. But you are so blessed to be a teenager. Stop thinking that it's bad days and bad times and, and how hard things are. We're talking about all the rough things in the world that's happening today. Do you realize in World War II, 60 million people died? That's not happening today. Do you realize that we had the Great Depression and people stood in food lines? I think it was Oklahoma, I think it was Oklahoma, was 60% unemployed. It was a rough time. And when everything collapsed around us, and yet there was people that said, we, we just, we, that World War II crowd, that crowd that came home, and then I was just a young child, that crowd that came home, they had some grit and determination. They believe that these were the greatest days. And the news media tells you how bad things are. I think we're living in a pretty good day today, a great day. Look at this, all this great crowd that's here. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel in chapter 15. And I'll keep my eye on that clock back there. I can't see it, but I'll keep my eye on it. And when the sun starts coming up, I'll know I've preached too long. I was giving Brother Jet or somebody back here, I see you folks from Heartland and Hiles Anderson, and you ought to just go to Bible college. Those are two good ones. Uh, there are others but, uh, as well. But I was talking to somebody back there. The, the, the church, somebody, I said, time me. Go back and look how long I've been preaching last, last year, the last six months of the year. And uh, I was a longer-winded preacher earlier, I, I said, we averaged, you averaged 28 minutes 
Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. So I think I was telling your wife, she said you go a little bit longer than that, Brother Frost. Not much. She said you're about that. But we're going to try to get to this real quickly. But I also want the Spirit of God to work. And Brother Frost, I thank you so much that you give me this privilege tonight. I love teenagers. I go to elementary chapel. Our school is 40, elementary and high school, it's 43 years old this fall. I've gone for 43 years every Wednesday morning to elementary chapel. We count how many teeth are lost. We sing songs. I preach every Wednesday. Then I go to the high school and I preach to the high schoolers and we sing and we have fellowship. Then I go to the college and I preach. I love being around teenagers. I don't have a lot going for me around teenagers, but they do know I love them. I love teenagers. I love young people. And these are such great privileges for me to preach to a crowd like you tonight. Let's stand together, shall we? I'd like you to read with me chapter 15, verse number 4, 5, and 6. As you turn to 2 Samuel 15, once you get there, would you look up here? You know, life, and you'll discover this, pivots and hinges on singular moments in our life. I was a sophomore in high school. I was at summer camp. We never had youth conferences, but we had 10 days of camp. We went from California to Idaho. There was a lot of Bible lessons and Bible teaching and then preaching and a lot of singing. That's what our camp was a lot about. And that sophomore year, I'll never forget it. I, I was in a cabin way on the other end of the property and God was working on my heart. I felt like, I, I you know, I went to public school. I, I loved God when I went to church. I did. I love Sunday school. I love Sunday morning. I loved our youth group. I love Sunday night. I love Wednesday. I love church. I worked at the church every day. I love that. But then I went to public school, and I loved that. I loved hanging out with the cool guys, you know. And I felt like such a hypocrite, and I wasn't trying to be. And it was at summer camp, my sophomore year, that God. That night so broke my heart. I can tell you my life hinged from that moment. I can tell you that. I can tell you the sophomore year in college, and I know this, another college president said this to me years ago, almost every Bible college student has a bad semester or a bad year. I got to my sophomore year, went to a music theory two class at 7.25 in the morning, and got out and left my usual practice by about 8.10, Everybody was out of the dorm and I opened my Bible every day and I had a, my prayer time and my Bible time. And that day, I decided I was gonna quit Bible college. I was gonna go ahead and live this dream to be a Marine. Now I was in Jeremiah chapter 12 and I came to verse five and if thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend in the horses? And I wrote in my Bible, if I cannot make it in Bible college, I will not make it in the war. 
That day I said, God, I'll finish it. I know you can't use me. I'm a stutter. I stammer. I get embarrassed. I get red-faced. But God, I'm available. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Young people, my life has hinged from that moment. And I could take you to moments like that. Chapter number 15, verse number 4. Let's read it together. Let's stay together. and Let's pause at the commas and semicolons, four, five, and six. Ready? Begin. Absalom said, moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land. We read about the life of Absalom. His life would spin. He could go back that moment when he had his half-brother killed. He had someone else do it, but he remembered that day. He remembered the day when he burned Job's barley fields, the previous chapter. Uh, He remembered when he said, I'm going to kill my dad. And his life is going to hinge from these moments. And the Bible said he came back to Jerusalem And from his own dad's kingdom, King David, he began to steal the hearts of the men of Israel. His life hinged from that moment. In four years from now, he's going to be dead because it hinges from this time of his rebellion. My question tonight is, who's stealing your heart? Would you at least... As a moment we have prayer, will you confront, is something or someone stealing my heart? Our Father, point it out to us tonight, please. I love these young people, though I don't even know most of them. To hear them saying, my life, Lord, is yours to control. I thank you for the singing. I thank you for Pastor Frost and all that he means to us for these many years. What a blessing. Please, God, as you breathe on that service with Brother Clark tonight, what a powerful message that we begin the conference with prayer. And I pray that tonight you'd use these brief moments together as we see Absalom's life hinging from this point where he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Help us to confront, to confront tonight who is, who is stealing our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've had the joy to pastor the same church all these years. I was an assistant pastor at two different churches, and then God called me to the church where I'm at 44 years ago. It's been such a wonderful journey, and God's blessing the church, and it continues to grow. We're seeing good things happen. But I will say this. I've pastored more people that have left than those that have stayed. That's just the way it is. More people leave than come. We've had 81,000 people walk the aisle of our church publicly, one-on-one, professing faith in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing number, but I didn't have 81,000 in church last, yesterday. I baptized over 18,000. That's a wonderful number, but we didn't have 18,000 in church yesterday. They're scattered all over the globe. 
Oh, many are serving God for which I'm grateful. We have a Christian school. 175 of our high school kids have gone out into the ministry of serving God. It's a thrill. But I have some in jail tonight. And I have some that will never see the light of day on planet Earth again because they've taken their lives. I want to say your life will hinge from a decision you make. And the decision that Absalom made, I'm going to seek to steal the hearts of my dad's people. He made a conscious decision. All the promising people I saw all these last 40 years, that 44 years, and had such great potential. And they threw it away. They threw it away. Tonight, we look at this man by the name of Absalom. As you keep your hand there, I'd like you to go to one more verse and then I won't have you turn again. Galatians chapter five. In Galatians five, please. Galatians five, and the Bible says this. And I'd like you to read verse seven. Paul is writing to these people, these Galatians, he had won to Christ. They loved him so much, they said we were willing to pluck our eyes out for you. He had an eye disease. But now they turn and their theology is wrong. And now they came and they were criticizing Paul. He said, am I become an enemy because I tell you the truth? He was disillusioned with these people had won with Christ. He was heartbroken. And he asked a question in chapter number five, verse seven. Let's read it together. Ready, begin. Ye did run well. Let me, let me read the verse and stop and you read the one word where I stop. Ye did run well. Ye did run well. Ye did run well. Who? There's always a who. You might be sitting next to the who. There's always a who. There's a what in life. What is hindering you? Who is hindering you? And the apostle said to these Galatians, you did run well in Seventh grade, you ran well. In eighth grade, you ran well. You, you, you got off in ninth grade, 10th grade. Somewhere along the line, you did run well. But there's always a who. Who's trying to draw you away? I'll tell you, I think of three, three groups that try to work on us all the time. Friends. A foe. Who's the foe? Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the, the what? He's after you, young people. He's got his arsenal aimed at you. He wants to watch where you're weak, and then that's where he'll attack you every time. He sees you're weak with the internet, that's where he'll attack you. He'll see you're weak with rock and roll music, contemporary music, this new modern Christian music. He sees you're weak there, that's where he'll attack you. The world, the flesh, the devil. There's three words that I remember tonight and who's the who? Well, the who is simply what we mentioned, the flesh, the foe, and your friends. Now, some of you young people are gonna have to say, I'm never gonna be mean to someone. I'll be a gentleman, I'll be a gentle lady. I'll be courteous, I'll be kind, but I'm gonna have to walk away from that friendship. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, he that walketh with what? Wise men shall be, try it again, he that walketh with, with, 
Wise men shall be, but a companion of fools shall be what? I've watched people, you have too, Pastor, all those years, you had a large youth group. Pastor, you've done the same. We've watched that people destroy their lives. Brother Miller, you've seen it. Brother Clark, you've seen it probably better than the rest of us. You've been so involved with teenagers so many years. Brother Dignan, the same. You did run well. Who did hit you? Who's the who? Who's the friend? That friend that's like absolutely trying to steal your heart. That friend is trying to draw you away from your mother, from your dad, from your church, from your pastor, from the word of God, from the things of God. There's a who in your youth group. I'll promise you that. I promise you. They'll be on the who, a who on the bus or the van on the way home. Always is. And you're going to have to identify, say, I'm going to be kind. I'll be polite. But I am not going to go down that path. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 the Bible says that ye be not deceived for evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil, evil companions corrupt good manners. May I say tonight, you show me your friends. I'll show you your future. I preached years ago to our teenagers. I said that statement. They framed it, put in the youth auditorium. You show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Nobody wants to hang around a nerd. Some of you are sitting one, next to one right now, perhaps. I didn't want to hang around the nerds. Even in our youth group at home, when I was growing up, I wanted to hang around the cool guys. And there was one nerd. That nerd was the sixth child of the family, and all of his brothers were already in the Marine Corps and out of the Marine Corps. They're older and he was the caboose that came along. He was weird. <laughs> Jack, gotta be squared away. Jack, gotta spit shine those shoes. Who cares if you spit shine your shoes? Oh, he was so determined. Jack, we gotta read our Bible. Jack, he went to another high school, went to our youth group. Jack, we gotta pray. Great football player. I didn't want to hang around him. He was a nut. But let me tell you something. When I made that conscious decision about eighth or ninth grade, that young man began to hinge my life and pivot my life. I watched these other guys mess up one after another, even in our own youth group, walk away from God, get bitter at God, get bitter at the church, mess their lives up, mess their marriages up, Messed their families up. And I watched this one Nertsky, and he ushered me into adulthood, one year older than me, but he had a testimony that he wanted to love God. Amen. Young people, hang around with the nerd if you have to. Hang around with the guy that's maybe a little bit different or the young lady that's different, but they love God. Amen. There's a love for God in their heart. Oh my goodness, as I see those people that are through the mind coming to my, my mind through the years, I see when the foe, the devil got this guy. I see when the flesh got this guy. I see when, when a friend got this one. I've had so many go on to live for God. But I remember this boy right here. I would say, if you look in our hallway in the high school, 
every graduating class for the last 40 some years, as you look at those pictures you walk through, the one you'd pick out as the most handsome in the school is picture of portraits on the wall with this class. I remember when he went to Bible college. I remember when he was removed from Bible college. I remember he came to me and said, now pastor, I want to do right, but I don't want to go to Bible college. I said, well, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to go in the military, and he did. He called me from a distant state, and he said before Christmas, he said, I'm so discouraged. I made the mistake in my life. I had that great Christian school. I had that great college. I threw it away. I said, well, I called him by his first name. I won't call it now. I said, come home for Christmas. Wear your uniform. I'll stand you up. I want the church to see. We're proud of you. And he did. He visited with me at Christmas. said, I can't take it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I had it so good. I was in college. Why didn't I stay? I said, well, you didn't get through the military. And when you're done with that, if you feel like God wants you to bring you back, come on back. Marry a good girl. Serve God or be a layman in the church and do whatever. He called me a few months later and said, I can't go on. I can't go on. I'm just so discouraged with this whole thing. I'm so lonely. I said, there's a good church. I gave him two good churches. He said, I tried them. They are good churches. They're good pastors, but they're not home. I don't like it. I don't like where I'm at. I don't like what I'm doing. I'm so lonely. I have no friends. He said, I've ruined my life. I said, you're young. When you get out, come home. That night he went out, rented a car, and got a shotgun, and he put it right here. I remember having his funeral. I'll never forget that day in the Redwoods at the, veteran, at the, high, at the uh, military gravesite. It was raining that day. The back wall of that beautiful chapel was all glass and they opened up those doors. Glass walls all open. Mother in the second row just heartbroken. Dad heartbroken. Little brother's heartbroken. She didn't know this was going to happen, but they had a 21-gun salute. And they aimed into that chapel that day and fired blanks and it echoed everywhere. I watched that sweet mother. Every time they fired those guns, shake and convulse. I can tell you of a young man that had it all together, was a great athlete, and that young boy rebelled against God and went to business and became very successful. He had things and he had possessions and he had a house. But about 25 or six, he said, Pastor, I'm so empty. I was walking down the street to go to a soul winning meeting. I stopped to saw him and said, hey, let's have coffee this week. And I said, I want to meet with you. But little did I know that afternoon he'd take his life. Young people, your life is going to hinge from a single decision. I know these boys, and I can tell you others, if they could redo it, they'd say, I wish I hadn't, I wish I hadn't done that to my family. Suicide is the ultimate self-trip because it's all about you. But you're leaving heartache behind. You better make some good decisions. Someone's trying to steal your heart today. As you get older, young man, some needy girl, young fellow, some needy girl that's insecure with herself. 
is going to put her eyes on you and go after you and hunt you down. My Bible says that in the book of Proverbs 2, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Don't choose a Proverbs 5, 6, or 7. Choose a Proverbs 31. A virtuous woman. And many of you are going to marry the wrong mate. She's going to steal your heart from your mother, from your dad, from God Almighty. Some of you girls are going to see some fella, I think of a young lady raised in a Christian home, not our, our church, raised in a good Christian home, her dad and mother on staff. I think of this boy over here, raised in a good Christian home, parents on staff, had family devotions, both these homes, they didn't know one another. These kids went to Bible college, met one another, fell in love, got married, everything looked perfect until the second night of the honeymoon when he started dressing like a girl. And he said, I should have told you, I have these tendencies. But I'd rather be a girl than a guy. The prayers of those mothers and dads, the family Bible time, the singing of the courses, going to Christian school, youth group, youth camp, all, all of it because some young, selfish punk stole what those parents had invested in her. I must seem very old to you, and I'm not, but I, I, I must. But I know, because God's given me the privilege to pastor a lot of people, I could tell you story after story all night long of the blessings of God. Where this guy came in on a motorcycle 35 years ago with the long hair, drugged up, but he got saved, his life was changed, and he's pastoring one of the largest churches in Costa Rica tonight. Great missionary. Text me today pictures of yesterday in church. I could tell you story after story that would break your heart. I carry with me my briefcase. I got in late tonight, threw it into the room there, shouted up and got here. I think of this young boy his senior year in high school, he had to be removed from school. Very unusual that would happen, but it did. He got so bitter at our church and bitter at me and bitter at the ministry and bitter at God. And at age 19, cancer invaded his life. He wrote me a letter and I, I carry it with me. I saw it again. He said, Pastor, I've been such a fool. I'm sitting in this hospital. You came by and read me the Bible yesterday and prayed with me and I want you to know I love you so much and I hurt my family, I've hurt you, I've hurt the church, but I want you to know I try as best as I can. I want to be so thoroughly right with God. But what a fool I've been. You don't think a 19-year-old is going to get cancer? I, we never thought that. Missionary, I just told you about who's been in the mission field, I never thought I'd bury his 13-year-old son with cancer either. That little boy said to me at 13, he says, Pastor, put on my tombstone, Nahum 1-7. I said, Edward, how do you even know that verse? He said, I got it in my Bible reading, 13-year-old boy. Nahum 1-7, I go to the grave markers and I see his beautiful little marker with his name there and his picture there and it says Nahum 1-7. 
I was telling you a story about another boy, and that boy was 19, and, and all of a sudden, he got just bloated up. The medicine just, it just was awful. I preached the first service in the morning, and then there was Sunday school, and then the second service, and the first service, they called and said, please come to the house. I said, I'm between Sunday school and morning service. I'll come right now. I got there, and you opened the door. He's laying in the door on the ground. The medics had just arrived. The medics said, you're gonna have to wait. His parents said, let him come in. And I would kneel down right there next to him. I said, son, I know you're gone now. I know you're in heaven. Son, I want you to know you got right with God and you got right with your church and your pastor loves you. Remember that funeral. Don't you live with regrets. We talk about who did hinder you. Who's hindering you? Is it your flesh? Is it you? Our pride? Who's hindering you? I won't tell you how recent it was, but it was real recent. I landed the first flight in a city and I got my first text and a good, good family in our church that doesn't think I'm strong enough, they said, we're gonna leave the church. I got to the next city and the next family, been there for years, said, we're leaving the church because you're too strong. One leaving because I'm not strong enough, one leaving because I'm too strong. And in both cases, who did hinder them? There's somebody. I see it in church, I can watch it. I, I pastored long enough, I can see it. When I see people start to move around and sit in different places, I know something's up. I watch them move from the front to the back. I know something's up. Who did hinder you? And let me close by, we can go to other texts, but not only is who, but what is hindering you? Is it worldliness? Is it social media? I, I don't think, I don't, I, we own, I don't know how many computers. We probably own 500 computers on two properties. I, I, I'm the only guy that doesn't know how to use one. Why, Brother Treber? Because you're such a good Christian? No, because I'm such a rotten Christian. Put no confidence in the flesh. I don't know, and I know our ministry has to have the computers and our, and our radio and the internet and the live streaming and the public. I know all that. And everyone has one. I went by a guy's desk the other day. He had three screens on it. I said, why do you need three? And he was trying to explain it. I don't know anything about that. I just know I'm paying for it. I'm afraid I'm afraid of me. I'm afraid I would not have the courage and the conviction and right to shut that thing off. Say, well, you should. I don't want to put any confidence in this flesh. We have a policy you mess up one time. One word, one time, you've just lost your job. I was preaching in New England 35 years ago. I got done preaching on a Monday night, went back to my room before cell phones and all that, turned the TV on, did not have these 
um, cable things, all that, did not have all that. I turned the TV on and went to brush my teeth. And I thought I'd catch some score, scores of some sports and see what's going on. And I came out. I've never been involved with pornography. But there was some nudity on that TV. God knows I never tried to do it. It just was there. I immediately shut it off. Did not have a remote. I remember shutting it off. And I fell at the foot of that bed. I began to weep, said, God, you know, I didn't try to do that. It was just there. I saw it in a moment. I wish I hadn't. But God, I promise you right now, I will never, ever, one more time in my life, whether in a hotel or my house, I'll never, ever in my life watch a TV alone again. Why? Because I'm a good Christian. No, because I'm such a lousy Christian. I called my wife, no cell phone. I went to the rotary phone and I called her. I said, Cindy, I want you to know. She goes, you're crying. I said, I am. I want you to know what happened. She told me about it. I told her what I just told you. And she said, honey, you, you don't try. I said, I know I wasn't. I made a policy that night. I don't care what NBA game is on or what World Series is gone or what, whatever game is on. I've never watched one by myself in 35 years in one hotel in America because I don't want to stumble on the pathway of life. I've got three kids and 14 grandkids. I don't want them to hear that dad's out of the ministry because he messed up with pornography. You say, you missed out a lot. I dare say you cannot tell me who won the NBA championship five years ago. How many in this room could tell us who won? Some of you can, it's okay. How many could tell us five years ago who won? Just raise your hand if you know. Who won? Warriors? I know that's not right. Yes, sir? You look intelligent, though. Uh, yes, who, who was it? That's a girls' volleyball team, isn't it? <laughs> Whatever he said. We, we don't, was the heat, was it the heat? that well, We don't know. You know how much it means to us years later? Nothing. But this computer will file everything we see in life. What's hindering you? Is it social media? My 17-year-old granddaughter just got a cell phone. Never had one. Getting ready to go to college. I pray for her every day. She's such a good little Christian girl. She loves her mother. She loves her dad. She, 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 loves, she loves the things of God. Her dad's a preacher. Her uncle's a preacher. Her other uncle is a principal of a Christian school. All three of our kids are serving God. It's wonderful. But the devil would like to destroy that life, Brother Frost. And you've, you've been enough with working you men, with young people and adults as well. You, you, he's, he's real. He's going to try to destroy us. What's hindering you? Social media? Listen, listen, if it's going to mean that you cannot marry a girl in purity and white because you've been taking pictures of your naked body and sending it in your Christian school. I was preaching at a Christian school. They said, we don't know how it's going to go here, large school. But they said last week we had a bust. Our kids were up on the second floor and they had a network going on and they called and said, faculty member coming and they had filthiness going on with 
couples upstairs with their clothes off in a Christian school, in a church. If you cannot control a cell phone, and I don't know how you can. I have a cell phone. I get the scores of the baseball games. I can see the headline news, but I can't, I'm not all connected to the internet again because I don't want to mess up this journey. It's been such a good journey. I never realized God was going to shower down so many blessings on my life. I have the most beautiful, sweet, attractive wife. She's just amazing. These three kids and their mates and our grandkids had a great ministry. God's been so good. I don't want to throw it away. What's hindering you? Is it money? I want to, I don't want to serve God because I want money. They that will be rich fall into a snare and a hurtful lust. Destruction. Is it popularity? Is it cars? Young man I met out on the road, he said, I never go, I don't take any, I don't do anything to retreat for college. That's, you know, we have it. If you want it, come get it. But he came up to me and said, I was going to go to Bible college last year. But I brought a brand new car, and now I can't afford to go to Bible college. I'd rather walk all through Bible college and go learn the things of God. My college president would say, since when is going to Bible college second rate? Learning about the Bible. You girls, you want to be a good mother, a good wife. You young men, a good father, a good husband. That will help put the whipped cream on your life with your parents and your pastor and your church has taught you. And who knows what, how God's going to do. Yes, we have a great church, but we've had the affairs. And we've had the divorce. And we've had the drugs. And we've had the drinks. And we've had the jails. And nowadays, I deal with so many people even around the country with sodomy. What was it for Lot? I want what's in Sodom. What was it for Gehazi? I want that money and those change of clothes. What was it for Demas? He forsook Paul for the world. Had so much to offer. What was it for Judas? Money. I close. I, I know I could tell you stories all night, good and sad. A sweet mother called me. She got saved in our ministry and she called me and said, now, Pastor, you know my daughter, she gave me her name. I said, sure, I, I, see her, I see her at the door. We talk. She says she's back in jail. She's a pretty thing, just a beautiful girl. I went to the jail. I pulled up and I told them who I was and gave all the information. It was all ready. But she doesn't know it was me coming. When I go to the jails, if I walk through the yard, they normally think I'm a lawyer, and, and they'll say things like, I'm here, and I'm not guilty. Can you help me get out? Nobody's ever guilty in jail. 
she's incarcerated in this area for women. And so they were going to bring her in her jumpsuit with chain around it. And as they do, men and women, they chain you, handcuffs on both sides. And when she came in, there's a glass wall, and I will sit on this side, and she was going to sit on this side. And she came in not knowing if it was a lawyer. She wasn't looking up. And they unchained one arm so she could have a phone. And she sat down, and she said, hello. And I'll call her Mary. That's not her name. I said, hi, Mary. This is Pastor. And she looked up, and she looked up. And she put the phone down, and with that one hand, she just began to cry. <laughs> she was taking up our visiting time just weeping. She gained her composure. She drinks, and she drives, and she gets arrested, and she's a beautiful girl. Just as my wife, she's just beautiful I did not know what she was going to tell me. She said, Pastor, your daughter Tiffany, you're never supposed to tell a girl's age, a lady's age, but my daughter Tiffany's going to be 40. Your daughter Tiffany and I, this time I think, she said, we're both 36. She goes, I love Tiffany. I don't know if Tiffany even knew her. She goes, I admire her so much. She's got those beautiful children. She's got that good marriage. Her husband serving God as a preacher. She's tipped me out of the same age. Look what she's done with her life, and look a mess I've made of my life. And I said, oh, Mary, Mary can change, but only God can change it. When she finally got out, she started doing well for several months and then fell off. She's not back in church yet because there's a what in her life. It's a bottle. As you stand with me tonight, let's all stand. Do you realize that some of you are going to learn what it is to put all up and down your arms, needles? Brother Clark, where'd you go, Brother Clark? You could tell all the stories of it. And it's sad to tell. And I think even in that great ministry of years, you've had to experience like what I've experienced. You've been there so long. It's a big church. Brother Dignan, you've had to see it all the, where, where, where good kids grazed in good homes, needle marks up and down. Where we're in jail because of drunkenness. Or as a young man that came, because he used to come to our youth conference from another church in a distant area, and he said, I'm out on on, on bond and I'm awaiting trial. He said, it's felonies. He said, I, 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 it looks like I'll go to a prison. Tall, handsome, gun-looking man. He said, it looks like I'll go to prison for a long time. I get sentenced this week. There's a who, there's a what, and only you can make a decision and say, tonight I'm going to ask God to hinge and pivot my life from this night where I say, Lord, my life, Lord, is yours to control. Our heads are bowed. Would you begin to use the altar? If God is speaking to you, he spoke to you on the message of prayer. He's speaking to you right now. Come on out. 
Nate, come on right now, before we even have the pianist play, you're saying, I am going to decide, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'm from Oklahoma, I'm from Virginia, I'm from here, from there, North Carolina. I don't care what city, what state, God bless you. I'm so glad you're here. But you say tonight, on this Monday night, opening night, I am making a decision. I'm not gonna let anything or anyone steal what my mother and dad and what my church and what the bus ministry has put in my life. The pianist, could you play, I have decided to follow Jesus. Thank you, my brother. Would you come? I have decided to follow Jesus. I remember the night, the afternoon outside, when my twin sister and I went into the baptistry, they were playing this song. I have decided to follow Jesus. Stay right there because I want to have prayer with you. When you come forward, always tell God why you're coming. Just don't kneel. Just don't think. Pray. Say, Lord, here is why I'm coming. Here is why I'm kneeling in Louisville, Kentucky. Let's stay right here, please. I'll have prayer with you. Our Father, it's been such a wonderful night to hear the laughter and the fun, to watch the response to the message of the first hour, and to be able to preach tonight. I thank you for leaders and young people that have had a long day today getting here, and yet they've had such an attentive spirit. Use these young people for thy glory. Put your touch mightily upon them. Lord, I pray that they'd realize that they will one day recognize that in 10th grade, their life was hinged from a decision. In 12th grade, in 7th grade, thank you for what you're gonna do in their lives. Raise them up as a mighty generation that love God. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Before you go back, is there anybody kneeling that's lost? You're without Christ. I don't know if I'd go to heaven if I died. Would you just lift your hand up if you're kneeling? You say, I'm unsaved. I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved. Please pray for me. I want to get saved tonight. Anyone kneeling like that? Anyone in the auditorium? Say, I'm not saved. Up in the balcony, the lower floor, I need to get saved. The pianist plays and you can go back whenever you feel like it. Pastor will know whether to continue the invitation or finish things up. I praise God for you. What a privilege, Pastor, that you let me come tonight. God bless you, sweet young people, and your great leaders. Keep up what you're doing here. Keep it up. Keep on keeping on, Brother Frost. 